Welcome to Here for Her Health, where we're building a better, healthier everyday for women. Brought to you by Organon. Welcome back to Here for Her Health, a podcast sponsored by Organon, with the goal of creating a better and healthier everyday for every woman. I'm your host, Wendy Lund, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Lindsay Harper, the founder and CEO of Rosie Wellness. Lindsay is a board-certified OBGYN and clinical assistant professor at the Texas A&M College of Medicine. Today, Lindsay will talk more about sexual wellness, the femtech industry, and breaking the stigma around women's sexual health. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast episode. Such a thrill to meet you a few weeks ago, and I'm really excited about our subject we're going to talk about. So if you wouldn't mind, can you tell our listeners about your background and about Rosie and what really inspired you to start this platform? Yes. Well, thanks so much for having me, Wendy. It's so, so great to see you and exciting to be here with you. My background is that I am an OBGYN and am super passionate about women's health and everything that's excitingly happening currently in the field, including what y'all are doing. But when I was in private practice, I had patients day after day, truly even patient after patient, who would express to me their concerns with sexual health. And I felt really confident helping them with pregnancy, with contraception, but this was something that I had no idea how to help my patients. And so, you know, I was hearing frequent complaints about lack of sexual desire, sexual pain, trouble with orgasm, with arousal. And I had unfortunately not been trained at all to help my patients with these things, but I had spent two weeks in an erectile dysfunction clinic. So there's a lot of things to really highlight the discrepancies between what's available in the field of men's sexual health and in the field of women's sexual health. When I really started to learn that 43% of women have a sexual problem or complaint, and yet even we as OBGYNs are not, you know, educated on how to help these women. I became really, really motivated to do something about it. So that's why I left private practice about three years ago and decided to start Rosie in order to disseminate that evidence-based information to really try to fundamentally change the lives and the sexual health of women across the country. And one of the things I love about the way you talk about things is this whole idea around sexual wellness and really, you know, creating women being well around their sexuality, right? And really destigmatizing it. So you've dedicated your career to destigmatizing common, but rarely discuss issues around this topic of sexual wellness. And I often talk about how we need to have these bold discussions about the many, many under-discussed issues in women's health, especially because Organon was founded with a purpose to amplify women's voices. So, you know, my question to you is, why do you think there are still so many taboos around sexual wellness? And what can we really do to break down that stigma and start having these much needed discussions? Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of reasons that these taboos still exist today. And in many ways, we are our own worst enemy, right? When we as healthcare providers, as organizations, as payers are not 
talking about sexual health, especially when it comes to women openly, then the message is received across the board that it's not permissible to talk about. We perpetuate the myth that it's dirty and it's bad. And even the worst ramification of all of this silence is that women who are struggling feel that they are struggling alone in isolation, in shame, in embarrassment. And when they bring these concerns, you know, maybe to a healthcare provider or to, you know, Google or wherever they might trust, then they're, and they're not met with the resources that they need, that compounds that experience of shame and isolation. So the fact that we as a medical community are really lagging behind in women's sexual health is really perpetuating this idea that for whatever reason, women's sexual health isn't deserving of our attention. And that's why I'm so thrilled to be having conversations like this, to be, you know, awakening the media's eyes to these problems and really giving women the voice that we all need and deserve to advocate for ourselves when it comes to women's sexual health concerns. Yeah, I think very few people could have said it any better than that because sexual wellness is so important and it's important across all ages. And so I would love to hear you talk more about that and tell us more about your approach at Rosie to reach women at all ages. Because as we know, as women go through these stages of life, she may be more open to hearing it at some points and less open as her life goes on. And, you know, that all really probably due to the fact that there are taboos and stigma also around women and their sexuality as they get older and older. So, you know, I don't know if you agree with that, but either way, could you talk a little bit more about the approach at Rosie and how you're really reaching women across the lifespan. For sure. This is something that I think is so beautiful about sexuality in general, and particularly sexuality for women, is that it is a part of our lives from the beginning to the end, and it is constantly changing and evolving. And while that might feel sort of complicated and overwhelming to some, I really find it to be exciting and such an opportunity to really connect with women on these really personal and private topics that are so fundamental to who each of us are as human beings right? So sexuality crosses the lifespan. When we're babies, when we're toddlers, when we're young children, we impart our feelings and emotions around sexuality to our children in the way that we teach them to talk about their bodies, in the way that we respond when they're, you know, touching their genitals for the first time. There's so many opportunities to really be sex positive, even at that very young age. And that extends through puberty, having frequent and open conversations with our daughters, nieces, whomever about how their bodies are changing and there's nothing dirty or shameful or bad about that. In fact, it's beautiful and magical, the opportunity that our bodies offer to us. And then as they become older in their 20s, 30s, there's opportunities to start to talk about pleasure and how to experience pleasure, which is so often missing. Then we may get into challenges around infertility, around pregnancy, childbirth. At each of these phases, we're offered an opportunity where we have to renegotiate sexuality in whatever areas that shows up for us. And that requires these open and honest conversations. And that's something that really we need to learn at a much younger age to help ourselves navigate these changes throughout our life. And then, you know, that may culminate in changes that are happening at menopause, changes that are happening around diagnoses like cancer or chronic disease, and then ultimately sex while aging in those later years. And so there's so many opportunities where we can really, as healthcare providers, as women, as friends, as parents and daughters, really extend that positive attitude about sexuality to all of those around us because we're all going to face many, if not all, of these challenges. And at each turn, there's an opportunity to do a better job and to really 
keep women sort of intact and whole and sexually well, as you mentioned before? Yeah, I mean, I love every single thing you said because it's, you know, all about negotiating and those open and honest discussions. And I love what you said about negotiating. I think you said negotiating sexuality. Yeah. And really thinking that through at all the different stages of your life as you go through your all the different impacts that you have across your life. And one of the big impacts you've had is actually leaving as a practicing physician and going into a whole different industry, but applying all this incredible knowledge and insight you've had. And that work in the femtech industry is now making a huge impact. And there's still so much more to do, but I'm really excited about what you're going to potentially do in the coming years. So maybe talk a little bit about ways that models like Rosie are shaping the future of women's health, and especially in light of the pandemic, which has resulted in so many women deprioritizing their own healthcare needs more than ever. Yeah, you know, I think there's so many important facets to that question. The first is women deprioritizing their own health. I think we're notoriously, we've done that for millennia, forever. You know, we're so good at taking care of those around us, at taking our children to their every six-month dentist appointment, every year doctor's appointment. But where do we place ourselves on that list of priorities? And I think for sure, as everyone would agree, that that was compounded during the pandemic. As a working mom of three little kids who had to be, quote-unquote, homeschooled, there wasn't a lot of homeschooling going on here, but I can 100% relate to that idea of deprioritizing just because there are a bunch of fires to put out. But I think that as we sort of mature as women on our journey to like, you know, self-realization, we realize that that is a recipe for disaster. That is a recipe for burnout. That is a recipe for sickness. And in order to take care of those around us, both emotionally and physically, we do have to put our own oxygen masks on first. And, you know, this can be a huge part of that. Sexual health, sexual wellness has been recognized as an important part of health for men for a long time now. And it's time that we appreciate that it's such a big piece of the picture for women as well. With many ramifications on our mental health, right? In terms of anxiety and depression, with many ramifications on our stress level for women. So the ties are very obvious. And when we think about them on a logical level, we can see that. And it's now time that we as a society, as a medical community, appreciate that from a healthcare perspective as well. And can you talk a little bit about the ways models like Rosie are helping to shape and support this? Absolutely. You know, I feel, and this is one reason why I love sexual medicine as a field, but I really feel that all of healthcare should be approached in a multidisciplinary manner, right? It's not as simple as going to the doctor, getting a script, going home, it's all done, right? We need to really understand what's going on with our bodies. We really need the support of others who are experiencing the same things. We need to have an opportunity for what we in the medical realm call lifestyle interventions. And it sort of has an eye roll moment with it as a physician because you realize that not many patients are going to move forward with lifestyle interventions, but that's because the support is lacking for patients to make this real change. So models like Rosie can move the care out of the office and into the patient's pocket, the patient's purse, the patient's home, the patient's car during carpool, wherever she might be, that is where Rosie can meet her. And particularly in the field of women's sexual health, as we've discussed already, there's so much shame and embarrassment that it really takes a platform that is private, that is secure, that is convenient for her to really feel comfortable taking that step towards sexual wellness. So we're really able to tackle that in two different ways, the convenience and the privacy, and really offer the support that we all need to make true and lasting healthcare changes that's really missing from our current healthcare models today. And tell us more about your journey to launching Rosie, you know, about how you've been able to combine your medical and this entrepreneurial spirit that you have to create this resource and 
Tell us a little bit more just about Rosie in general, how it works. Sure. So I think that there's a very unhelpful narrative that physicians are not good business people. And I think that that holds a lot of physicians back. But we have really, truly a lot of innate skills of what it takes to be a successful business person. And I've just tried to tap in on those. Whenever I decided to launch Rosie, my immediate thought was that I needed an MBA, like, you know, stat. But the fact of the matter is there's not time. And so you just get an on-the-job MBA and you tap into your skills, like your ability to distill complex information into a approachable knowledge for patients. You can tap into bedside manner when it comes to relationship building. And then also it allows us as physicians to really be creative in a way that we've never been able to do before. And then as a surgeon, you know, we have lots of ability to think on our feet and to be really resourceful. So I've really tried to tap into those strengths that I learned as a physician in the business world to really create a place that I would want to visit myself, an approachable, convenient platform. So Rosie is an app that women can download on their phone with all the evidence-based resources that can be delivered in a platform to improve women's sexual health and wellness. So there are tons of education-based videos and articles, which are all written and created by experts in the field of sexual medicine, like doctors like myself, therapists and psychologists, pelvic floor physical therapists, all people who are extremely educated and extremely passionate about helping women in the field of sexuality. There's also a library of erotica, where women can tap into this idea of arousal before desire. It's an evidence-based way to improve sexual desire if that's the woman's goal. And then we also have support through community where women can talk with one another and also coaching where women can tap into resources of support and of also those tenets of cognitive behavioral therapy where they can change the way that they're thinking about sexual problems, which can oftentimes change the outcomes that they're experiencing as well. So we're really excited to deliver this multidisciplinary and holistic experience experience in a private and convenient way to women across the country. I mean, it's an amazing platform and it really runs the gamut of all the different things women probably feel stigmatized to think about. So it's great that you've kind of put your, both your OBGYN hat on and your women hat on and your understanding of sexual medicine together to bring this to life and you take it on this entrepreneurial role in your life. So I'm going to pivot a little bit and ask a couple more questions, kind of bringing you back to being the wonderful OBGYN that you are and think about listening to women because, you know, we're committed to listening to women at Organon and for too long, their needs have been, as you know, ignored or overlooked. So question from a physician perspective, what's your approach been to listening to patients to make sure their concerns are recognized and addressed? Yeah, this is a real challenge in medicine today, right? Because we have our schedule presented to us with so many patients on it, so little time. Appointments are double booked. We've got a patient in labor, a patient waiting in the OR, and 20 patients waiting in the office. And so in your mind, you're rewarded for being really efficient and for getting to the answer really quickly, right? And so what happens in that mindset is that we're really pushed towards getting to the resolution, getting to the solution. And what happens in the meantime is that we miss out on the opportunity to truly listen. And so I, in practice, really try to not only hear what the patient is saying, but try to look past the words and really feel or see the feelings and the emotion associated with the words that the patient might be conveying. That is oftentimes fear. That is oftentimes anxiety. That is oftentimes shame. 
shame, as we've discussed, or embarrassment. And unlocking sort of the insight into those feelings is really what helps to take the visit from checking a box to an experience for both the physician and the patient, one that is truly therapeutic, not just in a medical sense, but in a true health and wellness sense. When anybody feels seen and heard, it can change the entire experience in a completely opposite one from when someone feels like they're being brushed off or their experience isn't being valued. So it is definitely an art to be able to do that in a small amount of time, but it can be so fulfilling and rewarding for both the physician and the patient and really can get to the heart of many matters that otherwise might take several visits to do. And I hope that we can really emphasize the importance of that relationship and of that understanding as we start to rebuild the future of women's health and of healthcare in general through many of these alternative models. Gavin, you just said something so interesting around unlocking that conversation, unlocking the discussion so that the woman can talk and the physician can listen. And I think at the end of the day, both want that. So I love this idea of kind of having that mindset. And on that note, we're both here to help erase stigmas and ensure women know they are not alone. And a lot of stigma has to do with the fact that there's limited discussion and it's not normalized in that way. And so the question is, can you set the record straight on a common myth or misconception related to sexual wellness? I mean, honestly, it could go on for days. So there's this idea of spontaneous sexual desire. So many women come in seeking help because they feel like, quote unquote, they've lost their sexual desire. And as we go throughout the lifespan, and for sometimes women for their whole entire life, they experience what we call responsive desire, which means that they don't just sit around having sexual thoughts and fantasies, but when prompted through something like erotica or through something like a message that their partner might send, that that can get those wheels turning. And then in fact, they feel what we call responsive desire, which is in response to that arousal feeling that they might be feeling in their body first. So arousal happens in the body, in the genitals, and desire happens in the brain. And sometimes arousal in the body comes before desire in the brain. Once again, a completely normal way to experience desire and actually a really important tool that women can utilize if they're working on desire as a sexual health goal. So another really important one that there's so many misconceptions about out there in the world. I think we could go on all day we doing could. this, but I, <laughs> and we might have a sidebar on this or bring you back. But before we wrap, let's look into your crystal ball for the future of women's health in 10 years. Tell us three words you would use to describe it. Oh, so good. I'm so passionate about this field. I'm so passionate about healthcare. I'm passionate about being a physician. And so if I had to pick three words about women's health specifically, the first one, which I think is so important, would be massive, right? Because there's this massive opportunity that's been just completely untapped since any of us can remember. And there's so much changing about that in the world today. And I just am 100% confident, I can feel it, that we as women are going to call all of this out. We're going to build what we need for ourselves and women's health is going to end up being massive as it should have always been. I also believe that women's health is going to be empathetic, much like we've talked about before. And I know the organization that y'all are building, we're not trying to find band-aids. We're trying to get to the heart of the matter and we're trying to really solve problems in the way that we want those problems solved for ourselves. And I had a hard time with the last one, but I picked efficient because I love efficiency and I know that's the way that women get stuff done, right? We 
get all the things we get done because we're efficient at what we do. And healthcare today is the opposite of efficient. And I really believe that when we're building healthcare that is massive, that is empathetic, and that is efficient. So I'm really excited to be a part of that. Great. I'll just say, Lindsay, you know, you use the word massive, and I think your point about massive opportunity in women's health is true, but there's also a massive opportunity to really help women understand how to be sexually well. And I really hope over those next 10 years, we can help bring women to that place, but also all those stakeholders around her that will help her feel that she's worth it, she can desire it, and she can own it. Absolutely. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We'll see. I was like, I don't know if I should talk about orgasms on this podcast, but that's what I do. So there you go. We didn't talk about a treatment though, and that's what matters. Yeah. (laughs) So I'll fight for it. I'll fight for it. Okay. Thanks. Y'all have a good day. Thanks again to Lindsay for being with us and for the work you are doing to empower women towards sexual wellness. I'm really looking forward to checking out the Rosie app. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please remember to leave a review if you're enjoying the show. I'm Wendy Lund, and thank you all for listening to Here For Her Health, building a better and healthier every day for every woman.